some things before I read our text for the message today. I was really impressed with the uh, Christmas play last Sunday evening. I was impressed with the depth of the theology in that play. It, it was called The Light Before Christmas, and in my closing comments, I, I tried to just very briefly in a few seconds, tried to sum it all up the best I could, but uh, I'm not sure uh, very many really got the message, so uh, I want to elaborate on that subject today and uh, and just go back through history and see why it is so very important when we think about the subject of light. We're going to talk about the great light that is mentioned there in Isaiah in just a little bit. As we look over the course of human history, there are two main actors in the story. There's Adam and there's Christ. And every person is affected by both of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you don't need to turn there. I wish I had time to do a really in-depth study of all of this, but I'll just give you the reference. But there we see Adam called the first man, and Christ is referred to as the last Adam in verse 45. Also, we see that Christ is referred to in verse 47 as the second man. Uh, again, in Revelation chapter number 5, we find a reference to both of them. In verse number 12, it talks about that by one man, that is by Adam, sin entered into the world and death as a result of that. But then he turns around and he goes right on and he moves from Adam all of the way to Christ. And just as sin and death came by Christ, even so righteousness and life came by Christ. Sin and death by Adam, righteousness and life by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we could, like I said, go into a lot of detail and get things really complicated by looking into that, because a lot of people are confused, well, you know, how, how can how can I be at fault in any way for what Adam did? And so there's a lot of questions about that. But let me sum it up. Number one, we were corrupted by Adam's sin. He acted as what some have referred to as the federal head of the human race. And as a result of that, we inherited a sinful nature. That is a propensity to sin. That's why you don't have to teach children to do wrong. They're going to do that by nature. We all do. We're sinners by nature. We were corrupted by Adam's sin but we are converted by Christ's sacrifice. Adam produced spiritual death. You remember that God warned him that in the day that you eat there, if he said that you will die. Well, he didn't die physically, lived 930 years, but he died spiritually that very day in that he was separated from God spiritually at that moment. And so every person by nature is dead spiritually as a result of Adam's sin and sin entering into the world. But when Christ comes, it's to provide life. So we're sinners because of Adam, but we become saints because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus provides salvation from the separation that Adam 
produced. Uh, the darkest day in all of history was that day when Adam sinned. You know, you can, you can let your imagination run wild and try to think about what it must have been like in that, in that original perfect world that God created. And picture yourself being there. I started to say in Adam's shoes, but I don't know that he had shoes or sandals or anything else, but here he is in this perfect environment, and yet as a result of sin, the human race was plunged off into this deep, dark hole that man could never get himself out of. So you can imagine the curse that was placed upon the earth. And from now on, God says that you'll earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. There's going to be a curse upon the earth. All of a sudden, the roses are going to have thorns and the serpents are going to have venom. There will be fury in the beast. It changed the nature of everything on this earth. The good news is, is that God immediately leaped into action. And in chapter 3 and verse 15, God gave us this assurance, this promise that Christ would restore what Adam took away. He said in verse number 15, and here he's speaking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, notice, and it shall bruise thy head, that is the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That little reference, her seed, refers to the virgin birth. That takes the human element entirely out of it because the, normally the seed is always referred to as the seed of the man, always. But when it comes to Christ, it's the seed of the woman. And although he says to the serpent, thou shalt bruise his heel, speaking about the sacrifice that took place on Calvary, the pain that was inflicted upon him. Notice, there will be a fatal blow delivered to the serpent that brought the sin into the world. So her seed is, is the assurance that God says, Adam has plunged you into this deep, dark pit of sin and death. But I have a plan That'll bring you out. We move all the way to the book of Acts, chapter number 3. And there God tells us that the prophets, it says, God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets. And here's what I want you to notice, this next phrase. Since the world began. That would have to include Adam, folks. I mention that because from the moment, the moment there that, that God gave that promise that He was going to restore what Satan took and God clothed Adam and Eve in those animal skins, from that moment on, Adam became a prophet and he began to proclaim this message. We think the Christmas message is something new. We, we think, you know, it just all, all happened after Christ came into this world. But here we see that it goes all the way back to Adam. Now we move up to the book of Isaiah. This is over 700 years before Christ was born. 
And I want you to notice verse number two. It says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Now remember, Isaiah is speaking prophetically. He's not only speaking as to the needs of the nation of Israel back during that time and the situation that they're in, but he's speaking prophetically of the solution that God is providing through the sacrifice of Christ to come. I know that because whenever you look into verse number 6, it says, For unto us a child is born. That's the virgin birth. Unto us a child is born. Unto us, notice he says, a son is given. There's a difference there because there he's speaking about the sacrifice that Christ made as he presented himself. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So there is no doubt whatsoever that he's speaking of Christ when he says, and the people saw this, notice, this great light. Notice those who see the light. It says those that walked in darkness, that dwell in the land of the shadow of death. Now that was over 700 years before Christ was born, but now we move to the New Testament, and when we come to the Gospel of John chapter number 1, we read basically the same thing that Isaiah was saying way back when. And whenever you read the first chapter of John, it leaves no doubt as to why Jesus came. And listen, Christmas is meaningless unless you understand this. You know, we know when Jesus came. We know where Jesus came. We know from whence He came, how He came. But we must know why He came. And based on His own testimony... When he came the first time, he didn't come to judge the world. He will do that someday, but he didn't come at that time to judge the world. He didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. He could have. In fact, there were those who begged him to do that. They would have followed him. If you'll just set up your kingdom, and if you'll deliver us from the iron heel of this Roman dominion over us, we will accept you as a king. But they couldn't understand that this king came to die. Turn to the first chapter of John with me. And I want to make sure this morning that as you celebrate Christmas, that you understand the the reason why Jesus came. And I'm going to give you four things that are mentioned. First John chapter number 1 and verse number 4. In Him was life. In Him was life. Thank God for that. Well, who's He talking about? Well, look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, and without, anything, without Him was not anything made that was made. That, so that's who it's talking about. In this person, that is in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He came, number one, to project light. Now remember, we live in a world that is depraved. That is, it's sinful. It's depraved. 
It's darkened and it's doomed by sin. Mankind is corrupt. Mankind is confused. Mankind is condemned. And over in Romans chapter 1, we read the picture of the sinner's plight when he says, and they became vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. That explains why people do things that are so stupid, so foolish, so irrational, totally contrary to reason. And oftentimes we'll look at someone and the decision that they make and the route that they take and we wonder how in the world could anybody be so foolish as to do something like that. It's because their foolish heart is darkened. And the Bible says that Christ came, notice, as the light of the world. He came to reveal the true nature of things. In Him we see God. He that has seen me hath seen the Father, Jesus said. In Him we see God, but in Him we see the perfect standard of righteousness. He came to reveal God to man as man ought to be. He came to show man the way to God. Remember, Adam has led the human race astray and Christ comes in order to show us the way to God. The sad part of the story is that men love darkness rather than light. That, that's the sad part because their deeds were evil. But thank God the Lord came into this sin-darkened world to project light. Now look again at verse number 4. Not only did He come to project light, but to provide life. It says, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now remember, in our natural state, we are spiritually dead. By that I mean that we are separated from God, and Paul explains it like this. He says, having no hope and without God in this world. So what we need is life. And that's what Jesus came to provide. I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundant. You know, there are a lot of folks that are religious, but they're lost. They lack life. They're devoted to their religion, but they have no salvation. Sometimes they wonder, you know, what in the world went wrong? Why is it that I, as religious as I am, I keep falling, I keep failing? Why is my life so empty? Why is it that I have no sense of purpose? And, and they've never realized that religion is no remedy for man's problems. You can join every church in town, but it won't get you to heaven you can sing praises like a nightingale, but until you're born again, you're just as dead as a dodo bird. You could be baptized in the creek till every tadpole knows you by your first name, but it's not going to do you one bit of good. You can give away every penny you've got, but until you've been born again, there's no spiritual life. Jesus came to project light. That is to show you the way and also to provide life. But look in verse 17, here we see that He came to prove love. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now the law is an extremely important thing. There are those that, some preachers today that think, you know, 
we don't need to be preaching about the law. And there are some that will say that we don't even need to be preaching about sin. But let me tell you, nobody ever becomes a child of God until first they realize they're a child of the devil. they got to realize they're lost before they'll ever get saved. And the only way we can know that we're lost is by the preaching of the law. It proves to us that we cannot, we have not ever lived up to this perfect standard. So Moses comes to give us the standard, not in order to save us. Because no man could keep all of the law. The Apostle Paul tried that even before he was converted. You know, he he tried to keep the law the best that he could, and he thought he did. He was so deceived by his religion that he thought all was well between him and God because he had kept the law. But whenever he read the law, the part of the law that said, Thou shalt not covet, he said, That slew me. That put me to death. That killed my religion right there. He realized he had not, he had not kept God's Standard And Jesus, it says here, came, notice, to bring grace and truth. You see, Christianity is unique. By that I mean it's different than all of the religions of the world because the heathen never think about their gods in terms of love. Their gods are depicted as angry deities whose wrath must be appeased. That means that you have to do something for them. You've got to do something to make them happy, to please them in order that they will, won't destroy you. Christianity turns all of that upside down because it's never about what we do. It's all about what Jesus did. Jesus came to prove love. But there are folks this morning in M.D. Anderson... There are folks that in St. Jude's this morning that have little children that have been smitten with cancer. There are folks who are alone this morning as a result of divorce or death or any number of other things. There are people this morning that are so burdened down by their hardship, so troubled by their troubles, that they really have a difficult time with thinking about the fact that God loves them. It's easy for those of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior to be convinced that there's no doubt about it, God does love me. But let me tell you, we need to understand that a good part of the world doesn't know anything about that. They don't see any favor coming from God. You know, the sun comes up in the morning, they don't realize that's a gift from God. The rain falls and the crops grow and God is good to all people. And yet they see none of that because of, because of the problems and the trials and the troubles that they're going through. But you see, they're looking in the wrong place. You can't ever judge the degree of God's love for you by the amount of pain in your body or the amount of money in your bank account or the amount of friends that you have, you can't judge the degree of God's love by any of those things. To judge the degree of God's love, you have to go back to Calvary and stand there and look at the man on the cross 
see him beaten to a bloody pulp and nailed to the cross, writhing in anguish and pain, and see the sacrifice that he made. And it's only then that we begin to understand that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, Jesus removed all doubt when He came. He came to prove love. God really does love you. Regardless of what it seems like, God loves you. And God has proven His love for you. I, I hope that this Christmas, when you think about the coming of Christ, that you remember that were it not for the fact that He came to project light, you would never have any understanding of your spiritual needs. Were it not for the fact that He came to provide life, you would have no hope of ever being united to God, having spiritual life. Were it not for the fact that He came to prove love, you would never stand a chance of being born again. But when we turn to Luke... In Luke chapter number 4, Jesus gives us His mission statement. He explains to us exactly why He came into the world. And, you know, every major corporation, I suppose, has a mission statement of what it is that they intend to do. And I want you to notice what Jesus said beginning in verse number 18, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel that is the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. You see, Jesus came to proclaim liberty. We need that because, as the Bible says, the natural man is enslaved, as it were, to Satan. We're taken captive by him at His will. You hear so much talk today about people saying, well, you know, I'm free to do as I please. Well, look, you might be able to do as you please, but you cannot do as you ought. There's not one of us in and of ourselves that has the ability to live our lives in a way that is so pleasing to God that it obligates God to accept us into His heaven. Because we're all sinners. Like the song says, we're just sinners saved by grace. Thank God He came to provide liberty. The sad thing is that whenever you look at the dialogue going on between Jesus and the Jews there in John chapter number 8, they were blinded as to their spiritual condition. The Lord assured them that He came to provide liberty for them, but they said, we've never been in bondage to any man. Jesus said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, He said, Ye shall be free indeed. You see, there's nobody that's really free until, first of all, they've been liberated by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can deliver us from bondage. And as a result of that, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through Him. Now here's, here's the sad thing about Christmas. There are so many, millions of people that will celebrate Christmas, but have no knowledge of, nor are they influenced by 
any of these glorious facts that I've been talking about. Christmas was my daddy's favorite day of the year. He Something about Christmas that he just loved, and I suspect it's the fact that he didn't get to really enjoy it when he was a boy, because in his eighth grade, his daddy died. He had to drop out of school. He had to be farmed out to a farmer, separated from his mom and all of the siblings, and go out and try to earn enough money for himself and uh, help out with the family how he could. So he was deprived of a lot of things. So Christmas was his favorite day of the year. But all of those years, up until Daddy was saved, all of that time, as much as he enjoyed celebrating Christmas, he didn't really have a clue as to what it was all about. And that's the sad thing about Christmas today, is there's so many, they enjoy all of the trappings, they enjoy the fellowship of the family and the good food and everything else, but they know nothing about the light and the life and the love and the, and the liberty that, that Christ came to provide. There are two little words found here in John 1.11 that just ought to mean the world to each and every one of us. Notice, he says, He came. He came. Can you imagine what it would be like had He not come? Thank God He came. His coming had been promised and He was punctual. He came at the right time in the prescribed manner to the very place that He had promised to the people that He had promised. He came. That means salvation for the sinner and forgiveness for those that are fallen, reconciliation for those that have rebelled against God, help for the helpless and hope for the hopeless, and, and healing for those that are hurting. John writes long later in the little letter of First John, and we know, isn't it good to know something without any doubt and to know it's true? And he says, and we know that the Son of God is come. Well, I'm in any doubt about it. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. That's where the light comes in. In our sin-darkened world, He gives us an understanding that we may know Him that is true and that we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He came. That's why they said, you'll call Him Emmanuel, God with us. He came into this world. I'm so glad that when the Lord saved me, He liberated me. I am so far from perfect that I'm ashamed of myself. But thank God I'm not the man that I used to be. Thank God He delivered me, not only from sin, but He delivered me from the, the, the condemnation that was upon me. He came. Because of that, there's companionship whenever you're lonely because you're never alone with Christ. There's comfort during those times when you are afraid. You can be calm when all about you are trouble. You can have courage when you feel like you're overwhelmed and confidence when you're challenged by the difficulties of life. And the list goes on and on and on. He came. And He came for you and for me. You see, God is not some 
divine deity up on the throne that has such a great ego that it's all about him. You know, some folks have misunderstood when we read in the Bible that our primary obligation, the primary requirement and our purpose in life is to glorify God. And they have a hard time understanding that because it makes it all about God. And in their mind, it's all about God and us pleasing him and not about us. No, no. You know, some people have said, well, you know, God puts all of these rules and regulations on us. Doesn't God want us to be happy? Yes, God wants you to be happy. But God wants you to find your happiness in Him. Because He's smart enough to know you can't find it anywhere else. Regardless of where you look and regardless of what you do, there is no hope for happiness in this world without the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He came, we can live every day knowing that the best is yet to come because He who came also said, I'm coming again. You see, He's not through yet. Notice the government of this world, it said, shall be on His shoulder. One of these days He's going to come to rule and to reign. And those that have received the life that He came to provide will rule and reign with Him in that day. He'll come again just like He promised. And it doesn't get any better than that. Oh, listen, if you're here this morning and you've never and you've never received the life that Jesus Christ came to provide. Oh, I know you know all about Him and you're religious and you've got your name on the church row and you've been baptized and all of that. But none of that, none of that means a thing if you don't have spiritual life. You're just as dead as the dodo bird. I mean, there's no life, no hope. But this morning, all of that can change by you simply putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be so foolish as those Jews were there in John chapter number 8 when they said, hey, we're all right. We have Abraham to our father. We've never been in bondage to anyone. We don't need you. In fact, later they said, we'll not have this man to reign over us. Well, it's either either he is the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And that leaves us without any hope whatsoever. Oh, this could be your greatest Christmas ever, really, by simply trusting Christ as your Savior. You'll never think of Christmas the same way again. He came, and now you know why, and He did it for you. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that although we are totally without merit, totally undeserving of anything whatsoever, as unworthy as we are, that You loved us to such a great degree that You gave Your only begotten Son who gave His life on the cross at Calvary that we might be saved. And I pray this morning for that person here that that's never received life. It might be that they have all of the information. They know all of the facts. They know all of the Scriptures but they don't have life because they don't really have Jesus. May this be the morning that they they trust Him and everything changes, that they leave here like the Apostle John saying, 
I know. And there's no doubt about it. Save them this morning for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing together, would you come? Maybe you just want to come to say thank you, Jesus, for coming. Without Him, we'd all surely fail. We'd all be drifting like a ship without a sail. the question do you know him today do not turn him away oh Jesus oh Jesus without him how lost I would be you know I said sat out in my study this week and thinking about the message for today and and what message I that I that I ought to preach and so many things went through my mind and I thought about you know of course all of them about Jesus but different things about him and and for some reason or another God just laid it on my heart that this is what I was supposed to preach. And I say that because, you know, I don't think God ever laid a message on a preacher's heart unless somebody within his hearing needed the message. And you'll never convince me in a million years that every person in this auditorium right now is truly born again, is really saved. And that that's just heartbreaking. If there's only one person here today that's never truly been saved how horrible and terrible that is that ought to bother every one of us to think about somebody leaving here without any hope of heaven in their heart I'll tell you who it bothers even more and that's the Lord because let me tell you if you are that one person I want you to understand had you been the only sinner on earth Jesus would have done exactly what he did. He would have suffered and bled and died because he loves you that much. We're going to sing another verse, and it might be for that one person that I'm talking about. I don't know who it is, but but I bet you do. Go ahead, Tim. Without him, I would be dying. Without him, I'd be enslaved. Without him, life would be hopeless. Here's the good part now, but with Jesus, Jesus, thank God, God, I'm I'm saved. saved. 